Hello everyone, welcome to our GrowPoint online service. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome. And we are actually doing a study series in the first letter of John in the New Testament. So if this is your first time to join us, thank you for joining us and welcome to our study. So regardless of what time you are watching this or joining us, uh, good morning or good afternoon or good evening but nevertheless we are so thankful that you are with us so we're excited as we continue our series before we do that let's just ask the lord to help us illumine our minds enable us to understand the text so that as we understand the text uh, we might be able uh, be to be transformed by the truth um, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this time that we have this privilege to worship you every week. Uh, we are thankful that we can we can have this freedom to open your word and l allow your word to um, transform us. And so grant us the grace of illumination and understanding and also the courage to apply your word in our life. In the power of your spirit, we pray this to enable us. And in the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Amen. Without a doubt, uh, one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian today is that we have this wealth of information and Christian resources available around us. I mean, if you want to buy a book that you like on the Amazon, you can go to you can go to the Amazon, okay, and then buy a book and read that book in a matter of minutes or seconds, okay? Kompas-pas and if you need to listen to a podcast, it's right there at your fingertips. You know, books, podcasts, online conferences, sermons, anything that you need, anything that you want, it's it's in the tip of your fingertips. As long as you're connected to the internet, as long as you have a smartphone, you can download the information and you can enjoy that information. Without a doubt, we are drowning in this sea of knowledge and information to fuel our knowledge and of course discipleship to Jesus as Christians these are available to us lots and lots of resources if you go to a bookstore if you want about if you want books and you know teachings about parenting there's a lot of parenting books if you want teaching about singleness love life romantic relationship there's a lot lot of books available for that so, yeah, my point is we are drowning in this sea of information. But this reality also has a downside effect to us. I mean, we can find ourselves drawing in this sea of information, ocean of knowledge, and yet miss the whole thing that Jesus calls the essentials of what it means to be a disciple. In other words, because of so much information, we tend to miss the one thing that he wants us to pursue. It's possible for us to have this thing called information overload. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that you read too much, you expose yourself too much uh, in information, conferences, whatever it is, and at the end of the day, you feel like, wow, it's information overload. Now, it's possible for us to have that in our context, in, our, in today's culture, especially in relation to our discipleship to Jesus. You know, many Christians hunt for knowledge, hunt for the next hottest Christian book, they hunt for the next popular seminar, they hunt for the next Christian guru, Christian you know profile to follow in their Twitter, in their blog, whatever it is. And we can do that and yet miss 
the bottom line of Christianity, the point, the essence, the core of Christianity. The reason I share that is because uh, that is the focus of John when he's inviting us in this new section in chapter 2. He wants to make sure that we don't miss the sonum bonum of the gospel, the core, the essential, the bottom line. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you memorize this information that are available right now. For example, the love languages. I have nothing against about the five love languages. But if you memorize everything, all that information, if you know and you're exposed to that information, and then you miss the whole thing, what John is talking about, what the Bible is talking about, what Jesus emphasized, the one thing that we should miss, nothing else matters. You know, your knowledge about the five language will not be applied if you miss this whole thing. Your marriage will won't will not work if you miss this whole thing because this whole thing is the core, the foundation. It's nice to have those information. It's nice to apply it practically in your life. But if the core problem is not addressed and the core practices that Jesus wants us to practice and address, nothing else matters in our Christian life. It doesn't matter how many seminars and conferences you attend about the secret to a happy marriage or the secret to a happy life or single life or whatever seminar you attend. If you miss what John is talking about, what Jesus is emphasizing in the gospel, you miss the whole thing and nothing else matters. For John, the most important thing for a Christian is to master is to how to have fellowship with God. That's the theme that John is delving into since chapter 1. And we learn about that, right? How to walk with God. How to maintain your walk and fellowship with God. That's the core. That's the bottom line. That's the sonum bonum of the whole thing, of the gospel. Or as a Christian, the rest of information in Christianity are just icing on the cake. But the problem is we tend to emphasize the icing rather than the main thing of Christianity and John reminds us not to miss the whole thing the whole point of what it means to be a Christian and that is his theme when we come to chapter 2 he's still continuing to talk about the importance of having fellowship with God and remember when John write this letter when he wrote this letter long 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 time ago thousand years ago um, John wrote this letters as a 90-year-old guy, approximately 90 years, according to scholars, he was approximately in that age, 90 years old. Now, talk about the wealth of wisdom that you can learn from that old man, okay? At least 80%, okay? Estimated 80% of his life was spending to know Jesus and walking with Jesus. If you asked him any topic about Christianity, he could teach you and he can write books and he could write and he could create lots 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 of sermon talking about what it means to be a disciple of jesus and yet john zero in immediately when he write the first letter of john ang yung pinakaunang focus ang pinakasentro sa yung kasing-kasing when he pour out this letter to his little children he talks about it he addressed them his little children in other words this is from his heart he's not just a teacher He's like a father to them and he wants to pour out and emphasize this main thing. And the main thing that John is always emphasizing to his readers and to us as well 
is this, to keep on walking with God. You know, that's the end point of the gospel, to keep on fellowship with God, fellowshipping with God, and to maintain their walk and fellowship with God. That's the main thing. That's the bottom line. That's the sonum bonum of everything in the Christian life. Without it, nothing else matters. No matter how, many, how, uh, how much knowledge you have about the Bible, if you miss the whole thing, nothing else matter no matter how big is your achievement as a christian if you miss the whole thing nothing else matter and so this is the whole life message of john keep walking with god keep walking in the light as he is in the light maintain your fellowship with god because without it nothing else matter and so notice john calls his readers little children because that's the word that he described uh about his relationship with him. Now, spiritual, deep spiritual bond. And sa kunggingon gayna, this is this is not just a typical lecture of pouring out information. This is his heart. This is what he thinks uh, the most essential thing that his audience can understand, or maybe na understand nila. He could remind them of to pursue in their Christian life. And so this is the thing that you cannot say graduate naka as a Christian. This is the main thing that we need to remind ourselves over and over again. And so the question then to us is this, how do we maintain our fellowship with God? Because that's the theme that John is delving into. He continues to, to talk about this since chapter 1. And as we dive into chapter 2, this is still his theme. How do we keep on walking with God? How do we keep on the fellowship with God? And John answers that by giving us two things that we usually struggle in order to maintain our fellowship with God. We need to address these things because it would hinder our fellowship with God. And this, the, uh, one of these things is a command and the other is comfort. Okay, But both of these things imply that this is a common struggle we must face as Christians and we need to deal with it as we continue if we're going to continue to walk and maintain our fellowship with God. Okay? We must deal with these things as you talk about this in chapter 1 verses 1 to 2. The first struggle is that we tend to be casual over sin. And we will talk about that, okay? We, we found that, we found that point in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, My little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. Okay, the first thing is that we tend to be casual over sin. And he's encouraging them that you continue to live a life that tries to pursue uh, not to sin. And secondly, the second struggle that we must address is that we tend to become hopeless over our sin every time we sin. It is found in the next part of the verse 1 and verse one and verse 2. John says, if, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So two things, two points that we will tackle today if we're going to maintain our fellowship with God. If this is the bottom line of Christianity, walking with God, fellowshipping with God, and if this is the, 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 the point of John to pursue and maintain our fellowship with God, we must address these two things, our tendency to be casual over sin and our tendency to be hopeless over our sin. So I want to read it once again, First John chapter Two verses 1 to 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But 
If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So number one, our first common struggle is that we tend to be casual over sin. John says one of the reasons he wrote these things is so that his readers, and us, of course, may not continually do sin or may not sin. Now, what does he mean by that? What he means is that there is in us a temptation that we must be aware uh, the moment we understand our unlimited provision of grace in Jesus Christ. There's always a temptation, okay? Whenever God gives us blessing, the blessing of the gospel has a accompanied temptation. And that temptation, as we previously, as we previously discussed in chapter 1, the provision, the blessings that Christ gave us is that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the power, that's the good news, that there is available cleansing. That's the provision, that's grace. That's amazing, right? But the devil, this, this is the temptation, the devil can turn grace into disgrace. He can turn grace as the power not to sin, but he can turn grace into license to sin. And he can twist what is good and turn it into evil for, for his evil purposes. And so the temptation that comes into our mind then is this. And I think we all at some point uh, have these thoughts. That if God is good and loving and faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin, then it's, I think it's okay for me to sin a little bit. You know, since I can come to God and you know, claim the confession thing for his cleansing you know i think god is good god is loving and if i sin i can just confess then i think it's okay for me to compromise a little bit to lie a little bit you know to do sin a little bit to experience sin because sin is pleasurable temptation is you know thrilling and i think we can be casual over it because since god is loving and he can just forgive me at the end of the day those are the temptation that comes into our mind that the devil can put into our mind the moment we understand the gospel it is a common struggle. And let me ask you, have you experienced that? If you have not experienced that, if you're not tempted to that, maybe, maybe, maybe one of the reasons is that you don't understand the gospel. You know, the gospel is so amazing that it would lead you to that kind of thinking. Although we have the choice not to respond toward that kind of thinking. Because this is a similar experience that Paul anticipated the moment they understand the gospel. In writing to the Romans, to his reader in Rome, Christians, um, I, and he spent so much chapter explaining the gospel, the grace of God. It's not by works. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And the grace of God is amazing. He then concluded that there's a tendency to abuse this. There's a, there's a wrong response towards this grace. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul is asking a rhetorical question, which really a question that uh, unmasked the motivation or the wrong response toward the gospel. is What shall we see then? Are we continue in sin? That grace may abound, because you know it's no because Paul is explaining. His grace is still greater, you know, it's still abounding in the midst of our sin. And the wrong response should be, okay, if that's it, then I need to continue to sin so that grace may abound. And Paul says, shall we do that? Can we do that? Can we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, that's the wrong response. He said in the next verse, by no means. Because we died to sin. We're no longer under sin's dominion. And he explained that 
in the rest of the chapter and so on and so forth. But the point is this, that you cannot avoid this tension. The moment you understand the grace of God, the moment you understand the gospel, there's a temptation to be casual over sin. There's a temptation to say, well, I think God loves me. Well, I think God can forgive me. Well, I think God is this. I, I can't just compromise. I can't just do this. And if you have thoughts like that, let me tell you that that thoughts doesn't come from God. It's a, it's a perverted thought. It's a twisted thought that comes from the enemy. And so John and Paul together, he says, address this struggle, address this temptation. And he says to us, no, don't do it. Don't continue to live in sin. Just like Jesus um, confront the woman who are caught in adultery who, caught, who is caught in adultery and Jesus asked him does no man condemn you because a lot of men condemns her and and the woman caught in adultery says no Lord and Jesus says neither do I condemn you that's grace that's good news right Jesus does not condemn us but then it says go and sin no more so grace is an escape from condemnation from sin so that we will not continue in sin and so John and Paul is saying we should not continue in sin I write these things to you my little children so that you will not continue in sin so that you will not sin and so that's the point grace is not an escape to sin but an escape from sin okay the purpose of grace is so that we can have fellowship with God okay when we use the grace of God as a license to sin, we are forfeiting the very purpose of that grace. So we should not entertain the thought if we struggle with that thought. So the question next then is that how do we make sure that we don't turn the grace of God into license to sin? How do we counteract that temptation? Because this is a common temptation for us. You know, I think this is a common temptation for you to to. To be casual over our sins since the grace of God is there and the promise of cleansing and confession and forgiveness is there, then the, our tendency is to be casual over sin. Our tendency is to believe the lie of sin and the lie of the evil one. So how do we make sure that we turn the grace of God into license of, sin, of, uh, into a license of sin? The short answer is, is for us is that you and I need to unmask sin for what it is. Okay, can you repeat that with me again in your thoughts, in your mind as you are watching this? You and I need to unmask. Wow na tong mascara, wow na tong illusion of what is sin. Okay? Because the reason we continue to sin is we are still under the illusion, under the fantasy of sin's promises. I remember a movie, I forgot to know the title of the movie. It, I just saw a clip of it, so I didn't see the whole movie, but the clip is very interesting. It shows the clip of Bambi. I saw at, uh, in in that clip. I saw a three three friends who are invited to eat in this sumptuous table. This beautiful lady that looks like a princess. So there's a lady, beautiful lady, and a princess. They were invited in in a certain cave, and then in that cave, there's a, a a long table filled with food, fruits, you know, luchon, and so on and so forth. Very kind of attracting. It's like buffet, you know. And so they were laughing and they were drinking and enjoying the meal. Except for one companion who was kind of out of the spell. The lady is a witch and they are under the spell. And it turns out that the lady isn't a beautiful young lady. Okay, The lady actually is an old, ugly, horrifying woman, a witch. And the food on the table is not actually fresh, but it's filled with rotten 
and rotten, you know, food and worms are all over in the rotten food and crawling around and they're and the two under the spell are eating it. They don't realize it's rotten, it's dirty. And he alone, because he's out of this book, he alone can see the illusion, can see the drama behind the, the, the real, the reality behind the illusion. In the same way, sin is like that. Sin promises us of this one thing and and pleasure and so on and so forth. And it's very attractive in our nature. It's the reason for that is because we are under the spell of sin. We have not and must sin for what it is. And the way for us to counteract sin and so that we will not be casual over it is to know what sin is and to unmask the face of sin for what it is. How do we do that? First, let's define what sin is. Now, last time we defined what sin is in a basic way, but I want to review it today and then uh, dive deeper why we should not be casual over sin. So, what is sin? Now, last time we, we defined sin as not breaking God's law. Sin is breaking God's law. Sin is disobeying the law of God. In other words, um, we cannot continue to enjoy our fellowship with God if we continue to break the law of God. The law of God, for example, reflected in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not, you know, uh, um, make other gods or worship other gods and so on and so forth. These are obvious standards of God and it reflects the goodness of God. The commandment actually is good and reflects his good intention towards us if we continue to live a life that breaks that standard that ignores the standard then we cannot continue to enjoy fellowship with god and so sin is disobeying the law of god which reflects his love and goodness secondly not only sin is like that sin it also means disobeying our conscience now we all have this inner monitor inside of us that tells us that what we did is wrong have you ever felt bad when you lie have you ever felt bad when 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 you when you know that it's wrong and you still do it it's called conscience and conscience is our inward guidance inward monitor to tell us we're doing something wrong it's a gift of god and if we ignore that gift if we ignore that alarm that red flags actually we are sinning Sin is not only disobeying God's law, sin is also ignoring and disobeying our conscience, which is informed and used by God to guide us. Thirdly, sin also means that our lives are governed by desires rather than the truth of God. I repeat that. I want to repeat that. Sin also means that our, our, our lives are governed by desires rather than the truth of the Word of God. And most people actually these days don't care about truth. They only care about what makes them happy. I just want to be happy. You know, I, people, you, you might think people care about truth. No, there's no truth anymore. It would say truth for you, but not for me. Truth is relative. What I care in life really is I just want to be happy. I just want to love myself and feel happy about myself. And so people are governed. Naturally, we want to be governed by feelings and emotions rather than truth. And that's the way, that's the basic definition of living a life of sin. Oftentimes we think living in sin is living in obvious sins, the colorful sins, adultery, drunkenness, corruption, you know, murder, and so on and so forth. But technically the Bible says you can live in sin when you are governed by your desires and not by the truth of 
God. So in summary, to live a life of sin means that we are not governed by God and the thoughts of God are not the center of our lives. Living in sin is that way. When, when the thoughts of God is not front and center sa atong ginabuhi. And we are governed by emotions and feelings and so on and so forth rather than the truth of the Word of God. It is the opposite of what the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man. And Westminster, Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know, And living in sin is the opposite of that, okay? Of that definition. And so, to, to not live in sin is to walk in the light. To not live in sin is not to be influenced by the world around us, rather by, by the Word. And that is what it means to live in sin. And John is writing these things to us so that we continue not to live in sin. So that we, we don't continue um, not to be governed by our desires, but to be governed by the truth of the Word of God. You know? And so that we, we continue not to be influenced by the world but by the word of God. Okay? So I write these things to you so that you continue to sin. Now, let's go deeper than that. Here's the reasons. I, I want to give you several reasons not to be casual over sin because this is the one common struggle that we need to face if we're going to maintain our fellowship with God, right? We tend to be casual over sin. And so John reminds us we should not sin. And we talk about what does it mean, sin, okay? How do we define sin? And we learn that sin is more than just behavior or action. Sin is an outlook, actually. When we don't enjoy God, when we don't glorify Him, when we're not governed by the truth of God, rather we're governed by our desires. But there's farther more reason why we should not sin, okay? And I'm give, I want to give you six reasons why we should not be casual over sin. Why shouldn't we be continually do sin and allow sin to to dominate our lives. Number one, because our sin causes so much trouble to our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin, my sin, your sin causes so much trouble to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the reason why he humbles himself and makes himself of no reputation. Why did Jesus do that? It's because of our sin. It's our sin that drives the nails in his hands and the crown in his brow and he shout with pain and agony. The reason why he does that is because of our sin. It is our sin that drives anguish and pain and it causes him to cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason he experienced that anguish and pain and agony and burden is because of our sin, your sin, whatever sin it is, past, present, and future. It's your sin that drives Jesus to, to experience that. And that's the consequences of our sin right there on the cross. That's why um, there, there's a lyric that says, there's a song that says, I never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. And we can never really fathom how much our sin troubles Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So the first reason that we should not sin is because our sin causes so much trouble for our Lord. And the, 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 the mark that we are grateful for His sacrifice is that there's a desire in us not, not, not to continue to sin anymore. It's a basic thing. We should not continue not to sin. Secondly, if we continue in sin, our sin dishonors the gospel. It dishonors the good news. The good news is we are saved 
And not just from the penalty of sin, but also from the slavery of sin. Sin is no longer our master. We are no longer sin slave. We have been set free. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so if you continue in sin and be casual about it, we are actually dishonoring the very purpose of the gospel. The very purpose of the gospel is freedom from sin. And if we continue to sin, we are dishonoring the very purpose of the gospel. Okay? So our sin dishonors the gospel. Our casualness over sin dishonors the gospel. Thirdly, our sin ultimately breaks the fellowship with God. And we know it. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we continue in sin, we compromise in darkness and it breaks our fellowship with God. In other words, we can no longer enjoy our fellowship with God. There is a barrier. There is an obstacle. We cannot be living in, 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 in and enjoying darkness and having to enjoy um fellowship with God. The two cannot coexist together. And so ultimately, when we continue in sin, it breaks our fellowship with God. And that's why John says, I want you to have fellowship with God. I want you to experience the joy as a result of that fellowship. That's why I write these things to you that you could, you you that you will not sin. Because I don't want you to break your fellowship with God. Okay, so that's the reason why we should not sin. Fourthly, sin is also inconsistent with our profession as a Christian. As a Christian, we are, as Jesus says, the light of the world and kahayag diri sa kalibutan. And if we continue to live in sin, we are not actually living out that position. We are not living out that privilege, that profession that we are the light of the world. Because if we continue in sin, we are not the light. We are like portraying darkness rather than light to the world around us. It contradicts our profession of faith as a Christian. So we should not continue in sin. Fifthly, sin always leads to evil conscience. Sin, your sin, your compromise, your casualness over sin always leads to evil conscience. What do I mean by that? In other words, uh, what I mean is that if we continually live in sin, it will always, always leads to unhappiness and depression. Sin is pleasurable at a season, but in exchange that pleasure is an evil conscience. You know, that leads to unhappiness, depression, and misery. Now, how many of you, you know, I, I, how many of you, the moment you sin, I mean, are you really happy? The moment you, you, you know deep in your heart what you did is wrong, you know, and you lie, and still you lie about it deep within your heart there's an there's an inner regret an inner guilt and it leads to unhappiness and it leads to um wala kay joy wala kay peace sa imong kasing-kasing and sin offers pleasure it does it's it's thrilling sin offers pleasure but in exchange it gives you evil conscience you become a miserable person to be with and the problem with miserable people is they make people around them miserable. That's the problem miserable people. And so you become touchy, you become sensitive, you become defensive, and you are a person that is hard to work with because there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no inward healing in your heart. You're not whole. And it shows the way you do relationships, the way you treat your boyfriend, girlfriend, your, 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 your spouse, and so on and so forth. And so no matter how many seminars you attend, how many techniques and principles you have, if you don't deal with this thing that is bothering you, if you don't deal with this issue, you won't experience the design that God intends you to experience. Because sin 
brings evil conscience. It brings inner turmoil, inner sickness that if we continue to keep in the dark, it will fester and it will destroy you from the inside. And so John says, I write these things so that you will not sin because this is what sin does. It produces evil conscience and if you still continue to compromise, you'll no longer have conscience. You know, and the, 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 the sad thing is that when you're no longer conscious, there's no, there's no inward monitor anymore. The monitor is broken. Nasunog na, nag-aso-aso na, andili na ka monitor of good and bad. Ang sahay, ang bad na himog good na and it changed your perspective in life. It leads to evil conscience. Number six, not only sin leads to evil conscience, but sin will always lead you to doubt. Sin will lead you to doubt. To doubt your relationship with God, to doubt your prayers if God hears them, to doubt your worthiness if you're worthy to come to God. Therefore, kung ingana na ang imong kahindang that you doubt your relationship to that, you, you doubt your prayer to God, it leads to prayerlessness. You no longer want to pray to God. So if you live in sin, you don't want to pray. If you live in sin, you don't want to read the Word of God and you don't want to pray. That's the natural product of living in sin you know and, and and you knew it because there's no joy anymore there's no you you have doubts whether god loves you or not you have doubts it always it leads to evil conscience and that evil conscience leads you to doubt and so you don't want to pray anymore and you're not sure if prayer really works anymore the problem is that when we face uncertainties, and there will be uncertainties at like this COVID-19, uh, we don't know how long this COVID-19 is very uncertain, right? There's a lot of uncertainties and troubles and darkness in our life. And in that time of crisis and darkness and trouble, our only refuge is our connection with God. Our only comfort is that we know God and God knows us and we have that assurance. Now, if you continue to live in sin, you don't have that assurance. You have these doubts that bothers you. And so, instead of running to God in the midst of crisis, you don't have the strength and stamina to run to God because you have this doubt, that you have these barriers. And therefore, you're having trouble. And therefore, oftentimes, you miss to come to God and access the grace and the mercy that is available to you because you have these doubts in you. And you cannot come to God if you don't come in faith. That's what the Bible says. And the reason you cannot come in faith is because you have this evil conscience and this conscience is fueled by your sin. Sin will lead you to doubt the love of God, to doubt God's faithfulness to answer your prayers and to doubt God's love for you. It, it always does. And it leads to misery. It leads to pain. It leads to depression and anguishness in your life. So the bottom line of our troubles is that we don't have a right relationship with God. Is that we don't have this fellowship with God. The reason we don't have this fellowship with God is because we are too casual over our sin. And in the moment of crisis, we cannot come to God because in the first place, we don't have that assurance. And the reason we don't have this assurance is because we compromise and we allow sin to destroy that confidence in our life to come to Him. Although our confidence to come to God is based on what Christ has done, but practically, we must continue to live in a practical holiness in our life in order to experience and send that confidence because that drives us to come to God. It is our anchor in the moment of crisis and trials. This is the reason why I say that 
it, it doesn't matter how many information you have unless you cultivate this thing called fellowship with God. It will not hold you in times of trouble if you don't have that. That's why this is the most important thing. And we cannot have that if we're too casual over our sin. So our sin causes so much trouble to our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin dishonors the gospel. Our sin ultimately breaks our fellowship with God. Our sin is inconsistent with our profession. Our sin always leads to evil conscience. Our sin will lead to doubts. And that's why John says, I write these things so that you will not sin. Because this is what sin does, you know. And if you see sin what it is, you would not want to sin anymore. And that's our prayer. That at, the end, at the end of the day, we will not amplify the lies of sin, the promise of pleasure, the promise that one time or again, okay, or again, we can confess afterward. That we don't amplify that. Rather, we amplify sin for what it is. That it brings evil conscience. That it dishonors God. It dishonors the gospel. It contradicts to our profession. And it would lead you to doubt. And you don't want to live in a life like that. So number one, that's the first thing we need to deal with. We tend to be casual over sin and we've seen the remedy how to counteract that. Number two, if we're going to maintain our fellowship with God, number two, we need to realize that we tend to be hopeless over our sin. So the first point is for those people who are becoming hardened in sin. Okay? That's the warning. Casual over sin. The second one is for those who have of us who have abnormal or oversensitive conscience. You know, <laughs> that's why John, in the next page, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, I love the word but. It's always good news. Okay? It doesn't end there. That you may not sin. Okay? But, if anyone does sin, because we will, no matter not to sin, we will sin. Here's a comfort. After the command, okay? So, yes, we must pursue to be holy, but we, we must pursue to be godly. We cannot be sinless, but we can aim to sin less and less in our Christian life. But you might say, what if we sin? Well, John offers a comfort after the command. The comfort begins with, but if anyone does sin, in other words, there's good news that we need to focus, we need to come, we need, we need to come because if we forget this, we would come into a place of hopelessness. We would come in self-pity and we will have a wrong response toward our sins. Now, uh, this is important because the devil can either tempt you to be casual over sin or to be overly sensitive and be hopeless about it that you forget what Christ has done. Okay? So both are common, common struggle if you're a Christian. So kung kriswanan ka, casual over your sin and overly sensitive that you can you can no longer see the power of the gospel in your life. So two realities we need to remember when we sin. The moment we sin, okay? Two realities. First, we have an enemy, and that enemy is so focused in accusing us before God. He is called the accuser of the brethren. He is the devil, okay? He excuses us of our sin to God. And secondly, we have a conscience. And this conscience shouts us, condemns us, very honest, very outspoken about our sin. So, naakay enemy who accuses you and naakay conscience that attacks you based on the truth, to be honest. Your conscience attacks you based on the reality of your sin. So, both of these cooperate together and shout condemnation to you when you sin. Their condemnation is not purely a lie. 
it's actually true and you and I are guilty when we sin and so you have two options when, when it does occur when these two reality shouts condemnation to us you have two options two responses okay either you can look to yourself and find comfort there or you can look away from yourself towards your savior and John says if anyone does sin here's the best option we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, I, want, I want to pause on that, okay? Two options, look to yourself or look to Jesus or look to the Savior. And John says the best way is to look to Jesus because he's our advocate with the Father. Now, what is an advocate? An advocate is someone who stands on behalf of someone. It's a defensive metaphor, okay? For example, I'm guilty and my defense attorney is someone who's very good attorney for example uh, they, well, but uh, a very good attorney Jesus is like that he's an advocate he's a defense lawyer before God and he brings us to God uh, there's another uh, actually interestingly in the New Testament this word advocate is also used in terms of our relationship with the Holy Spirit Jesus says the Holy Spirit is actually our advocate in John chapter 14 verse 26 you know, Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and he bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So in that context, a helper or an advocate, the word helper is an advocate, is, is someone who aid to walk with us, is someone who enable us, assess us, to accomplish what needs to accomplish. So in summary, if we're going to, because G, John used it to describe our relationship with Jesus Christ, he also used it to describe our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So an advocate is someone who is 100% for us. If, some, if someone would ask you, how do you define an advocate? Where advocate is someone who advocate for you. He, it's for you. It's 100% for you, for your good, for your release, for your freedom. Okay? So, here's the reality. When we sin, two realities is against us. The devil and our conscience, right? The devil works against us. The good news is someone is greater than the devil. Someone is greater than our conscience. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, our righteous advocate. No matter on the English, the devil and condemnation, and it's true, could be true, okay? And no matter on the English, the conscience against you, and it's true, and it could be true, but there's someone who is greater and more uh, trustworthy, our defense lawyer, our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I like the label righteous. It means that he fulfilled the righteousness that we need in order to fellowship with God. Jesus Christ stands on our behalf. In other words, when God sees us, when the Father sees us, he doesn't see our sin, our failure, our brokenness, our lapses. But he sees the complete holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is the basis of our fellowship with God. And so this should not lead us to hopelessness when we sin. It's a hope provided by the gospel for us. Okay? And so Jesus would come to the Father as our, our, as our advocate. Jesus would come to the Father and say, Father, don't worry about this person. All his or her sins have been forgiven. They are covered. They are blotted out by existence because of me so that you, you 
and Him can have fellowship together. And so no matter how many times you become a prodigal and in your walk with God, no matter where you've been a Christian, no matter what you've done, if you're a Christian, Jesus is your advocate to the Father, with the Father. Okay? Whether you realize it or not, all of us has this so-called advocate. You know, we can use our religion as an advocate. We can say, well, I think God loves me because I'm a really religious guy. You know, you can use your good works as your advocate. You know, you can say, well, I think God accepts me and smiles at me. Why? Because I'm a person who really loves to help the poor. Uh, I'm a person who really do good works, good deeds. I'm a person that is a moral standing in my community. So I think God is impressed by me. Or we can use our advocate as our self-righteousness that I'm a, I'm a decent guy. I'm a, I'm a good guy. Therefore, I can have fellowship with God. And John says, none of these things can stand as our advocate. It's only Jesus Christ. Jesus is our ultimate advocate. So our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves. And it's in the Lord Jesus Christ as our righteous advocate. So you have two options when you sin. Okay? How to deal with your guilt. How to deal with your hopelessness. Either you look to yourself and say, I can improve myself. Positive lang ta. Positive lang ta. Amen? Stay positive. <laughs> you can look to yourself and you said, positive rin ta. Positive. Okay? Muna yung usahay mga tao ba, kung wala na dyan yung pag-asa and dili nila makita na I hope ni Jesus, na I hope sa gospel, they always look, find, and create a illusion of hope in themselves. And they would say, and they would go to positive thinking and positive confession and so on. It's just positive. Positive rin ta. Okay? The law of attraction and so on and so forth. Positive rin ta. Positive rin ta. You know, but it's a denial of reality. When you just think positive, 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 unya makubit positive ka. Just it's just a denial of reality. You know, it's not enough to be positive. Ang pangutana is your positivity rooted in realism, or just false illusion. And so this is a question for us. It's not enough to be positive about life. You need to be confronted by your reality. But Jesus gives us more than positivity. Jesus gives us hope rooted in reality we can stay positive not for the sake of trying to be positive we can stay positive because someone has conquered our sin someone paid for our sin someone ultimately loves us more than we love ourselves and so when we realize that that someone loves us more than i love myself we're no longer preoccupied in loving ourselves we're no longer drowned in this sea of hopelessness that of self-pity, I always say, ah, yung ani rajud ko nga tao. Makazala, Roman, jikod, liko pa rin nila, pastor, nga, hindi ko pa rin nila, ni ate, ni kuya, mga, kwanjun na sila sa gino, pero ako, yung ani rajud ko. We don't do that anymore because we know we have been, we are loved and we have righteous advocate in Jesus Christ. So that's what it means to be a Christian. You don't look to yourself, you look away from yourself and you look to Jesus as your righteous advocate because according to John, he is our propitiation for our sin. And we will talk about this technical word the next Sunday. But for us, it's sufficient for us to know is that we don't need to live in hopelessness. We don't need to live in guilt. We don't need to drown our sorrows with hopelessness because we have a righteous advocate in Jesus Christ. Years ago, when I was preaching a series about the love of God, years, years, years ago in Grow Point, someone after the service come to me and says, Look, um, Pastor Mark, 
I, I thank thank God for that message, but it said I cannot believe that God still loves me. Why? Because I live a life of sin. You know, when I was and she tells this story and she she's crying, she's filled with guilt. I know the burden, the heaviness of the burden, the cloud of heaviness and burdens and she tells a story that says um, when she was still in college and she doesn't have money and the way to get money is to sell herself. So nagpagamit siya na siya mga sugar daddy and so on and so forth. And she's a professing Christian and she knows that. And she knows it's wrong but she still does that. Uh, and, and then this guilt kind of weigh her down. You know, it leads to some unhealthy habits as well and so on and so forth. That No matter how I preach about the love of God, how I talk about grace it doesn't penetrate him because of the guilt it's so hard the guilt and the heaviness is there and so she always says to me that's good that's good but I think God cannot forgive me it's because of this it's a continual you know in order to sustain my schooling and it's wrong we know that it's wrong choices and and she knows that and then this cloud of heaviness is um, around her and that day, um, I'm sorry to say, that day doesn't end well because no matter how I share the gospel or share the goodness of God, it feels like it doesn't yet penetrate. The Holy Spirit is still convincing her. But thankfully, many years, many years after, I, I watch her Facebook and she's, she's doing good. And she's married and she's doing fine. And she's a professing Christian. And I think she's, she's come to a realization that God brings new hope despite of your past that God forgives that God blotted out all our sins and trespasses and that Jesus Christ is our righteous advocate when we sin he gives us hope when we look away from ourselves and we look to him and trust him he alone can accept us as who we are because of what he has done on the cross so that's the good news. The good news is not that forgiveness is available. The good news is not just cleansing is available, but the good news is that we have a righteous advocate on our defense. If God is for us, who can be against us? We don't have to live in hopelessness. When Christ, Jesus, is a righteous advocate. So if we're going to maintain our fellowship with God, one thing we need to address is we need to address our tendency to be casual over our sin. We need to ask this question. In times of temptation, are we, do we have the tendency to amplify sin's promises, false hope about our sin, or do we tend to amplify the truth about our sin? Are we unmasking sin for what it is? Secondly, if we're going to maintain our fellowship with God, then we need to address these sins and this ten- tendency and temptation to be hopeless over our sins. Especially if I'm using you tend to be hopeless over it. We need to address this hopelessness by looking to our Savior. Jesus Christ is our advocate. When these two, two things dominate our life, the reality of our sin and the reality of our advocate, we can continue to walk and fellowship with our God. We, we don't need to live in hopelessness and we don't need to live with an attitude of casualty over our sin. We continue to walk in the light as He is.
in the light. So my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's the goodness. That's an invitation. And the main question that I, I, I just want to ask you is this, that do you know Jesus Christ personally in your life? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you have an assurance that He loves you? Do you have an assurance that you trust in His love rather than in yourself? Do you have this moment of repentance and faith that you don't trust in yourself, but you trust in Him alone in what He has done on the cross for your salvation? Do you have that? Well, if you don't have that, you can just simply repent right now from your sin and trust in Him alone for your salvation. Trust in Him alone. You can come to Jesus right now just as you are. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the invitation is always for you. Yes, this is good news that we have an advocate. But the question is, is He your advocate? Is He your Lord? Is He your Jesus? Is He your Savior? And you can make sure of it when you come right now in faith and repentance to Him. And say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for looking into myself. Forgive me for trusting myself. I trust you. I invite you to pray with me this prayer. If you want to make that decision, pray with me this prayer, okay? Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. I repent now from my sins and trust you alone as my Savior, as my Advocate. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. I trust in your promise. I trust in you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. That's, that's prayer. If you pray it in your heart, sincerely, God sees your heart. I cannot see your heart, but God sees your heart. If you come to Him in faith, the Bible says if you come to Him in faith, you are forgiven. Not because you're good, but because He's good. He's faithful to His promise. You have eternal life, and that eternal life means we have fellowship with God. You have an advocate to the Father. So that is the good news. For us, there is a question. This is a good news that we tend, we need to repeat over and over in our life. So I want to pray as a closing prayer. I want to pray for us as well as Christians. Our, our pursuit in maintaining our walk with God. Let's pray. Father, we, thank, we are so thankful for your goodness, for this truth that reminds us uh, about our sin and reminds us of Jesus Christ as our advocate. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your goodness towards us. And... Um, we cannot thank you enough for what you've done for us on the cross. Remind us not to be casual over our sin. Remind us not to be hopeless over it either. Because the good news enables us to be sensitive towards our sin, to avoid sin, enables us to stay hopeful when we sin. So grant us this perspective. May we not forget it. May it become front and center in our lives. And this we pray in the name of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All God's people said, Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us and I hope you're blessed by the message. If you're blessed by the message and there's someone 
that comes to mind nga dapat makalungugan eh, feel free to share this message as well. It's in our YouTube channel. You can visit our channel. YouTube channel, just type Grow Point Davao. It's there, the first video, the latest video in a moment. So, you can share it in your Facebook timeline. You can tag a friend and so on and so forth. And I think our team will repost this video in this Sunday afternoon. So, tag someone. Please, please, please do tag someone. Uh, good news are meant to be shared, not to be kept. So, if you're really, really blessed, tell us about it personally as well. We want to read your story as well. If you're blessed by this ministry, please tell us and please tell us your story and also please share this to everybody. So, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. So, wherever you are, whatever you've been, remember, you are loved and Jesus Christ loves you. God bless you.